0: Bible and the Bishop. Hello my name is Farron Glenfield. I'm the Church of Ireland Bishop of Kilmore, Elphin and Arda and I've been reading the Bible since my teenage years a half century ago. Since then I've studied the Bible as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a student at the University and as a Christian pastor. I believe the Bible is God's Word written. So in this series of the Bible and the Bishop, I would like us to consider the book of Psalms, which is found in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. This, the third in a series of Psalms in the Old Testament, is about Psalm 16. And before we read and consider the text of this psalm, there are a number of preliminary things that I need to comment on. First you will notice the heading which precedes the psalm. It's a miktam of David. Five psalms, including psalm 16, have this heading, and they're all attributed to David. The meaning of this term miktam is obscure. One line of thought is that a miktam is a a silent prayer, a covering of the lips, as it were, in secret prayer to God. And if that is the case it may be very helpful in us understanding what the context and content of this psalm is. Two, according to Hermann Gunkel, a German Old Testament scholar who classified the psalms into various kinds or types, Psalm 16 is a psalm of confidence, which offers an eloquent profession of faith in the face of troubles. Now, if this is a psalm of David, we know that David faced many difficulties in his long life. And there is a hint of a particular troubling issue in the text of this psalm, which we need to look out for. Three, the messianic hope. Christianity shares with Judaism that many parts of the psalms are messianic. That is, the belief that God was about to send an expected deliverer who would establish God's rule in the world. This person was to believe to be a keenly, prophetic, priestly figure. The Anointed One in Hebrew, the Messiah. In Greek, the Christ, Christos. Of all the books of the Old Testament, the New Testament draws heavily on the Psalms. And it is reasonable to infer that wherever David or a Davidic king, his successors, appears in the Psalter, it likely foreshadows the Messiah. We need to keep alert for this in Psalm 16. Keeping these preliminary thoughts in mind, let's turn to the Psalm, which I'm going to read to you now from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Psalm 16, in Mictam. Of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. Their drink offering of blood I will not pour out nor take their names on my lips. My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for evermore. The first thing that we always do when looking at a psalm is to ask who is speaking and who are they addressing. If this is a psalm of David, David is speaking and he's addressing God. In these opening verses, verses 1 to 4, we detect David's devotion to God, his commitment and loyalty to God and his reliance upon God. The opening lines demonstrate this. David calls out, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. It is a deeply personal appeal to God. To keep him safe, to watch over him, to shelter him from any harm. Whatever alarm David was facing, he trusts in God to preserve his life and to be a refuge in time of trouble. The verb In verse 1, preserve, to keep, to make safe or to defend. And the noun, refuge, that is a place of safety, a safe place, a place of protection, are commonly found in the Psalter and particularly on the lips of David. Whatever alarm in David's life, he knew that God would anchor him in the storm. I wonder, is that true of your life? and mine. These verses tell us that David's devotion to God was total. You are my Lord, verse 2. I've no good apart from you. You're the only good I need, David is saying. His dependence on God was more sufficient than anything else. David's devotion to God was also expressed in his delight for God's people. Faith in God and love for God's people should go go hand in hand. They are the vertical and the horizontal axes of a believer's life. Loving God is demanding. And loving God's people can at times be equally demanding. As one commentator puts it, the saints do not always act saintly. Or as an old doggerel expresses it, to live above with saints we love will certainly be glory. To live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. A quick glance at the letters of the New Testament. And a cursory look around the people in shirts supports this contention. But this psalm holds that if you're devoted to God like David, you have a duty to delight in his people. That is to love, care, and esteem the saints. That's a biblical term for all the people of God. And because of his devotion to God and his delight in God's people, David is determined to reject paganism in verse 4. David lived in a polytheistic world, a world of many gods, small g, David was determined in verse 4 not to run after these gods, not to make offerings to them and not to have their names on his lips. His devotion to God kept him from paganism. Paganism is alive and alluring in our contemporary world. It has many guises, many faces. There are the old elementary forces of earth, wind and fire, sun, moon and stars, that some still cling on to in our modern world. Then our hearts, the Bible teaches us, are idol factories. We manufacture gods of our own making and imagination. The gods of ambition, success, popularity, addiction, Pluralism, pleasure, tolerance, intolerance, to name but a few. People run after these gods. People offer themselves to these gods. People take their names on their hearts and lips each and every day. Whereas, like David, we are called to devote ourselves to the one true and living God, who has made himself known in Jesus Christ. In verses 5 and 7 in this psalm, we see David's confidence in God is rooted in his delight. He takes pleasure in God. And this delight flows from the pleasure he finds in God in verses 5 and 6 and from the direction he receives in God in verse 7. First, David finds pleasure in God. In verses 5 and 6, there are allusions to God's provision, his providence, that is, his gracious ordering of affairs for his people in general and David in particular let me read you these verses the lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold my lot the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed i have a beautiful inheritance god's people israel shared in a rich heritage in god who inherited his people liberally god sustains his people with Food and drink here in the Sam, portion and cup. Sometimes we say, "Our daily bread." The land of promise given to God's people in the Old Testament was portioned, allotted to each tribe and to each family. The boundary lines were marked out. Much of the book of the Old Testament book of Joshua is taken up with the inheritance and distribution of a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. David delights. David takes pleasure in this rich heritage. But there is a trace of warning in these verses. God in his providence knows where to draw the line. God's people then, in the Old Testament as now, have a tendency to redraw the line across boundaries God has fixed and made known in his word. So many problems arise when God's people don't know where his lines are. David knew that to his personal cost and so do many of us. David's delight also comes from the direction he receives from God. Verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also My heart instructs me. How does God direct David's life? How does he direct your life and mine? Well, Psalm 1 is explicit. A blessed, a happy person is orientated to God and directed by God through his word, his manual for life, the Bible. The counsel of God is mediated to the believer by his word, through the agency of the Holy Spirit. What a delight, what a privilege to have God's counsel and direction in our lives. Where would we be without it? Lost, indeed, without him. Third, David's confidence in God was framed on his dependence, which we see in verses 8 to 11. In verse 8, he expresses his dependence on God in these words. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Notice the strength of David's dependence. I have set the Lord always before me. What an unusual expression. What does it mean? Martin Lloyd-Jones, a remarkable and renowned Welsh preacher of the 20th century, is very helpful here. He says it's an act of the will. And he gives an everyday, ordinary illustration. You set the alarm on your phone or on the alarm clock? to go off at a certain time in the morning, to waken you for the day. You have to do that the evening before, and of course, you have to arise with the alarm in the morning. It is the same idea here in Psalm 16, verse 8. To set God before us requires thought and action. We must exercise willpower. And this is what David means in this verse. It is an activity to practice the presence of God. How do we do that? Through prayer, through meditating on scripture. God is. He is a person. And I want to go into his presence. I want to know him, speak with him. This is what David means by setting the Lord always before him. And in doing so, knowing that the Lord is near, he will not be shaken, even when the difficulties come, as surely they will. In verses 9 and 10, there is a hint of what David faced, or was facing, which give birth to the song of confidence, Psalm 16. We read in verses 9 and 10, Therefore my heart is glad... And my whole being, my flesh rejoices and dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. In this miktam, Psalm 16, perhaps a silent prayer, David calls out to God during some serious illness, Remember, David's world was a pre-scientific world where medical knowledge and medical practice was elementary. And in these verses, David confidently claims healing, restoration from God. My flesh also dwells secure, and you have not given me up to death. This security, David writes covers my physical well-being. In fact, David insists you will not allow your favoured one to see corruption. David's dependence on God is such that he appears convinced that though he may eventually go to Sheol, the place of the dead, you and I would say the grave, he will not forever be abandoned there. Is David speaking of himself? As the favoured one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. In the New Testament, both Peter and Paul say that this psalm, Psalm 16, is not merely about David. It is messianic. Remember the messianic hope and the preliminary remarks. In Acts chapter 2, in verses 29 and 31, Peter in his sermon on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the first followers of Jesus, quotes from Psalm 16, verse 10. It is clear that the psalm could not apply only to David, but a dynastic David, whom God said would rule and sit on the throne. And since David was a prophet king, he also predicted the resurrection of the Messiah in this psalm. So if God's anointed one will not see decay, if he triumphs over death, then the Messiah's people can have the same assurance of victory in the face of death. Paul, writing to Christians in Thessalonica in the New Testament, says this, God will not abandon his people to death, but will bring us along with Jesus in the resurrection from the dead. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 14. This reality of the life to come is picked up in the final verse of this psalm. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Derek Kidner, an Old Testament scholar, says that this verse is unsurpassed for its beauty and the prospect that it opens up In the words of the most utmost simplicity, the path of life, the straight way, the right route God shows and opens up to his people, which leads without break into his very presence, into God's eternity. And in God's presence, God's eternity, there is fullness of joy and unlimited delight, pleasures forevermore. John's Gospel in the New Testament is replete with these words of the psalmist. Jesus is the way, the narrow path that leads to life, life in all its fullness, the life of the age to come, eternity. May I ask what path you are on and what prospect does it lead to? This year, 2020, is election year in the United States. It would seem that Donald Trump and Joe Biden will face each other in the presidential election in November, later this year. Both men have yet to select their running mates for vice president. Sixty years ago, in 1960, there was quite a tug of war going on in the Kennedy camp. When the youthful John Fitzgerald Kennedy selected Lyndon B. Johnston, a wily, streetwise old operator from Texas, to be his running mate, Johnson was not liked by many in the Kennedy camp. And John Kennedy had to do a lot of persuading, a lot of soft-soaping, to get him on the ticket. He was reputed to have said to the Johnston detractors, look, I'm 43. I'm not going to die in office. So the vice-presidency doesn't mean a thing. What a terrible presumption. Turned out to be in the light of his assassination three years later. And Lyndon B. Johnson assumed the presidency. Dale Ralph Davies, an American commentator, concludes... Far better to have confidence in a risen Savior who has already touched and tackled and triumphed over the trauma of death. A dependent life, like David's here in Psalm 16, is not a mundane but a marvelous matter. To know that your life is sheltered in God, your portion in life. Your deliverer in death.